What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. No longer, we are the African perspective. I still get confused with that, but I'll get used to it. And I, I know that people in the background are probably like, not again, not again, not again, man. But hey, we are the African perspective on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us on DSTV on uh, the channel 802 on the audio book. Hey, today, we're going to be looking at... At, uh, this uh, real, real big topic on South Africa, continuous one, which is protest, service delivery protest, the unfulfilled promises that we are actually creating this system uh, whereby people are asking the questions you promised us at the beginning of uh, this new dispensation that you will deliver housing, that you will deliver free education. Uh, in this current atmosphere in South Africa, a lot of those questions have been really, really unpacked by the communities in terms of the protests. Well, yesterday, the latest South Africa's Human Settlements Minister, Lindiwe Sisulu, has given the technical team uh, tasked with responding to housing protests two weeks to verify the housing list database in the south of Johannesburg. That's another question. It's, it's, it's 2017 and already uh, we're having these questions of going back and verify housing list databases. That's that's a big concern. Where are we, how are we doing with our governments in that regard? Now, the minister, together with Human uh, Settlement MEC uh, in Gauteng, Paul Mashatile, and the Johannesburg Mayor Herman Mashaba, met uh, yesterday in Soweto with the leadership of communities such as El Dorado Park, Ennerdale, Freedom Park, and Cliptown about their housing concerns. This is into this uh, package that was compiled by uh, SABC journalist Wissani uh, Makubed. About a hundred leaders from various communities in the south and west of Johannesburg met with government officials at the University of Johannesburg Soweto campus to state their demands. Everyone within the government doesn't take Slovo Park seriously. I'm actually disappointed from the statement that uh, Umama Sisulu has said. There will be another session whereby Minister of Land will be there. But then we had sessions with Ndatema Shatiri, and the land issues was key. Why didn't they bring the minister today? Is that another delaying tactic? Because the key things that we had, it was land issues and economic development. My name is March, the surname is Kess. I am representing the area called Ennerdale in the Deep South. When Urban Dynamics came in and proposed to build the houses, I just want to bring it to under the attention of everybody that the houses that's going to be built in Annadale is not even a thousand houses. So with the beneficiaries, it brings a question to mind that who's going to benefit and who's going to lose out. There's only 715 houses that's going to come up. Yes, the Annadale stakeholders have submitted a database of over 8,000 houses. Orange Farm consists of the half of the population of this region. When you want votes, you come to Orange Farm. We want a town in this area. Mama, I'm from the N1. I'm an anarchist. 
I'm a, I'm a land grabber. I was grabbing land before the mayor came. When it was pastor, I was, I was, I'm a land invader. So make sure I stay next to N1. I close it. I, I'm between N1 and Golden Highway. So please don't make us to go back there. We were there. What is that? My name is Nicolene Trom from Fine Town. We are a community that had struggled with electricity for years. Ubo Iamba for four hours. Tina, we stay months without electricity, especially when winter comes. We are too crowded. We live in one house for generations. We need to be given land. That's all we're asking. We don't care about we don't care about RTP houses at this point. All we say, give us land and let us do the rest. We want them. We want them. We want them. Human Settlements Minister Lindo Sulu admits that demand for houses far outweighs the 4.3 million units that have been delivered over the past two decades. She, however, says government remains committed to providing houses for the poor. Sisulu says the verification of the housing list database must be completed within two weeks starting today in those communities that have been protesting. We will be organizing mobile units to go to all these communities so that you can check if in fact you are on our database and the new applicants are able to put their names on the database. It will then be published. Well, that's the voice of a human settlements minister in South Africa, Lindiwes Sulu, wrapping up uh, that uh, package by uh, reporter Wisani Makubele. And uh, really much of a uh, uh, big portion of that uh, um, story was really looking at the concerns of the people. And we're going to get into the conversation with two of our experts on the line, Dr. Herbert Maserumule, who is a, a social and political commentator. We haven't had him in a while here on our program so it's fantastic to be having him and speaking to him once again we also have Lina Nguna who is a PhD uh, candidate at the University of uh, uh, Johannesburg uh, she's also a lecturer at uh, uh, the Department of Communication Science let me start the conversation with you uh, Dr. Herbert Maserumule this is nothing new in South Africa there seems to be this constant uh, real going on and off of a, a service delivery protest it seems like South Africa is really having a hard time in terms of dealing with the issue of service delivery. We give it different names. Now and then it's called land and another time we're going to call it something else. It seems like promises unfulfilled here and we hear once again um, these uh, technocrats meeting with the communities uh, making more promises but it seems like these promises are the center of the problem doctor. Yeah, um, uh, thanks, Benjamin. Uh, yeah, indeed, it has been some time. Um, let's get to the issues. Um, um, you are you are correct, Benjamin. Look, um, 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 even when we go back to 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 our history, you will recall that in 1994, when the ANC. Took over. It came in with the mantra of better life for all, and mm. and and unfortunately that much happened at a time when um, the world was dominated by neoliberal ideology and globalization, and also that much happened at a time when the ANC basically inherited a, a technically bankrupt state. Mm. So so. 
so, so um, um, the RDP that they came up with, which essentially emphasized the very same, you know, it, is, it, is, it, it was the basis of the, that mantra, better life for all, because mm. it was taking about all those issues, houses for our people, God, blah, 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 blah. But the challenge of that time was that the, 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 the context of that time was that South Africa mm. was technically bankrupt. And as a result of that, uh, we have seen, as the times, you know, uh, uh, proceeded, we have seen, we have seen RDP being, mm. being, being uh, supplanted by, by, by Kie, mm. because remember the forecast had to be on stabilizing the economy. The forecast had to be on making sure that we put in place a mechanism that seeks to stabilize how we run the state, and also the focus had to be on issues that are made to transformation, not necessarily mm-hmm. delivery of public services. And by then, in the early years, you know, we did not really have much of this particular protest because by then I think we were still living under some kind of euphoria. Mm-hmm. South Africans were happy that at the end of the day we got, we got freedom, and obviously also we were still very much excited with Mandela, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But as the time goes on, Reality started to hit home. People started to say that, but hey, we we want services, you know, mm. we want services, and 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 that much was not really that much for coming. And and also another thing that I picked up was that mm. when 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 we were actually trying to evolve as a democracy, our understanding of democracy seems to have likely been at the procedural level in the sense that we we, we seem to have particularly leadership in general, mm. seems to have emphasized the fact that we have achieved freedom. That is not freedom for people that are poor, because democracy should be defined to an extent that we can even begin to talk about the substantive aspects of democracy. And when we talk about substantive aspects of democracy, we're talking about issues that relate to basic services. And also all those issues, remember, they are enshrined in our constitution. You know, mm. So what people want is what is actually enshrined in the constitution. What people want is what has always been the pillar of the liberation strike. So what we are seeing, Benjamin, I think we are beginning to see um, 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 uh, the, what we are seeing in the in the protest, there seems to be the manifestation of an unfinished business mm. of democratization. Mm. You know, so all these things uh, do have some kind of history, but more importantly, yes, um, uh, we, we, uh, the new government came from a particular era which was very challenging, mm. but Benjamin, 20 years in government is a long time. Things could have already happened. Mm. Let me bring Lena into this conversation. Lena, I know that you're a young mind, and that's why I wanted you to be part of the uh, show. And I know that you've done research on the representation of protests and protesters in South African media. It's an area that you've been looking at in terms of your career. Lena, in terms of this democracy and these protests, as as a young voice and as a, a young academic, what have been the areas that you've seen that have become trends and especially what we're seeing through the media visuals and you know what's happening in terms of how we also even cover these themes okay hi to you benjamin and all your listeners 
Um, well, from my side, what I understand, and I agree, I totally agree with what um, Doctor is saying. You cannot have democracy without actually having um, plurality in the voices. You can't have democracy without the voices of the poor being listened to. You know, I think we need to go back to that, and we need to go back to how we actually communicate as a country, and how the government communicates with the poor, and how the media also takes these messages. So when I did my study. And um, because I studied the representation of the poor and, and the representation of protesters in South Africa in general, was um, what I found in the study was that everything that the protesters are trying to get through to the government, it is never heard. It is never listened to. And it is because of how, um, if you heard even the, the clip that you just played of sure. the news of the protest, it, it, people were saying, we've been going through this for so long. And it's sort of like um, for, for government, it can be losing electricity for one day, but for them it's not having electricity at all. So this situation, it shows that it's not something small. It's not something that started out of um, just today. And I think we also need to understand protests in that manner. The fact that they are not spontaneous, mm -hmm. the fact that they are, they are they, they something, they, they sort of an event that has built up over the years and mm. we need to understand that when people decide to protest it is not because that was the only option but it is because they actually tried to communicate to their counselors in their um, specific areas they've tried mm. to write letters to the government so I think it goes back to understanding why protests actually come in and in most of the times it's because the voices of the poor is not being listened to and the way that it's supposed to be well, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll come back and look at those areas. And I think you highlight something very, very uh, big there, Lena, the fact that they're not spontaneous, that they, there is a, seems to be a systematic governance error when it comes to really hearing the voice of the poor. Because if there was uh, kind of a good communication level, we wouldn't get to this kind of breakdown uh, that uh, we constantly see in South Africa's uh, governance environment. Well, that's Lena Nguna, who is a PhD. Uh, D candidate at the University of Johannesburg, also a researcher at the university's uh, research chair for social change. I also have Dr. Herbert Maseromule, who is a social and political commentator. It's great to be speaking to him. It's been a while, Doctor. So it's great having you here with us here on Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue, where we look at the big events uh, on the African continent and bring experts to discuss it. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
This is African Dialogue. Thank you for joining our program. You with me, Benjamin Mushatama, giving you the big subject matters on the continent, giving you the experts to speak on those. And uh, today we've got Dr. Herbert Maserumule, who is a social and political commentator, Colleen Nguna, who is also here with us, a researcher at the university's research chair of social change, also a lecturer at the Department of Communication Science at the University of South Africa. I want to come to you, Lena, and stay with you a little bit before I go back to Dr. Herbert Masirumule. You were talking about the fact in terms of representation of the voice of the poor and the fact that their voices are not really heard. Uh, Why do you think that is the case? Uh, Do you think it's because there is a sense of entitlement or people saying that people have a sense of entitlement in communities or people think that these things are more of a legacy in South Africa. There's so many excuses that people say that we can't fix things and then we couldn't fix things in the last 20 years because we've had such a uh, huge, huge uh, legacy of apartheid that's still on our shoulders. So there's so many reasons why we don't hear the voice of the poor. Do you think uh, any of, can you mention some of those excuses excuses or reasons and do you think those reasons are relevant to why their voices are not really heard okay so um well what i think uh, well from basically from my study and what i've realized and through also interviewing protesters and looking at um how the media actually represents their stories um in most cases we get to um not understand them because of how they are also framed um if you've noticed in the past few years the only thing that we usually hear about protesters is how violent they are. I'm not um, saying that that's not an important factor about protests, but I'm just um, outlining how somehow because of this image that we are so used to, that protesters are violent and that they are barbaric and they are uneducated, poor people that think they are entitled to, to certain things. That's the ideology that most South Africans have. And this ideology has blocked a lot of voices of poor people in the country. It has um, made their voices sort of invalid Um, and we do not understand that because they've gotten to a point of frustration and because they've gotten to a point where they need to voice whatever it takes um, therefore they will do whatever they need to do to be listened to. So in a way, from the study that I carried out, um, protesters were actually also mentioning that the violence is not because they want to be violent. In most cases it is because they want to be noticed. And sometimes the media has a way of actually under, only coming to them or only responding to the issues or listening to them only when they become violent. And it's because they, like I said, that um, protests are not spontaneous mm-hmm. and that they are sort of a a process and it it, it happens that um, from the community that I actually Mm. interviewed in Johannesburg Mm. um, in Freedom Park to be specific Mm. there you have people that applied for SDP houses back in 1994 and they are still on the waiting list today you have people that are uh, Basically, they do not have toilets in their houses. They have to go to a shopping center to use a toilet. So there are certain issues that South Africa is facing. And um, because of how also the community members or the local government um, members that are supposed to be responding to their issues, they are actually ignoring the people. And because of that, the people want to get national attention. Mm -hmm. And when they try to get national attention, unfortunately, it becomes violent Mm -hmm. because that is their way of getting 
um, the media to actually notice them and getting their biggest leaders to actually mm. notice what they are experiencing in their communities. Mm. So it's, 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 it's big. It's bigger than mm. what we see and what South Africans actually understand from this. It is more than just the poor being violent, but it is frustration mm. that has sort of built up over the years. And we need to understand that when they have gotten to the violent part, it is because they cannot they can no longer stand what they face every day and they can no longer stand mm. empty promises they can no longer stand not being listened to or being ignored by their counselors mm. dr Masera Rumule, let me bring you into this conversation because it is frustrating to hear what lena is highlighting and also the fact that we have represented uh, the protester in this manner as well because when there is a peaceful march maybe us as the media we don't really show up but what's more concerning is the fact that you know we live in a country that has a larger population of the poor but it's almost like that large population is peripheral to mainstream society and peripheral to the economy and conversations around that economy why is that we are structured in that kind of way in our governance style because shouldn't it be that our governance should be centralizing these poor people who we've actually now marginalized it's almost like an apartness or an apartheid of modern times in a way and an apartheid of our own democracy no, 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 Benjamin, your observation is spot on because largely, yeah, like, like some, some others will argue that, largely we don't really seem to have actually done something uh, uh, fundamental in terms of trying to change the architecture of the apartheid. All what we are mm. doing is just to manage the fundamentals that were there before. Like, for example, if you look at the spatial arrangements in our country, they are still... Um, 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 they are still um, uh, showing, you know, uh, those 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 mm-hmm. apartheid templates. You know, mm-hmm. you have your townships, you have your former areas, blah blah blah, and all and and this spatial arrangement do have a high degree of implication in terms of the quality of services that are, that have been delivered to the people. Like for example, if there could be a porthole in your in your Babian areas, mm-hmm. you know, it 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 will not. Uh, take much for people to come and attend to it. But if you have the same in the township, it, it tends to, it, it tend to take uh, more time before people can come and fix it. Mm-hmm. And that much also underscore the fact that instead of fundamentally dismantling you know, the, 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 the templates of apartheid, we are, we are nicely managing them. In other words, we are working within the templates that we were supposed to have dismantled when, 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 when the new government take over in 1994. But also, uh, the other issue that I want to bring in, uh, Benjamin, which relates to the whole uh, 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 question of governance. Um, uh, from the macro-organization uh, perspective, in terms of the organization of the state, we do have three spheres of government. You are national, provincial, and, 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 and local sphere of government. It is at the local sphere of, of government that all these issues that we are talking about, the basic services, all these issues ought to be delivered at that level. In other ways, um, local government ought to be at the, uh, uh, I mean, the local level is, is at the call phase of, 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 of delivery. And therefore, it will be critically important that 
a government should do whatever that it can to make sure that it capacitates the municipality. In most instances, particularly if you go to local municipality, you'll be confronted with the challenge of lack of capacity. You, you have so many people that do not really to understand what they're doing. Yet, on the other hand, also, you have so many people that take advantage of the system and benefit themselves mm-hmm. instead, of benefiting, uh, instead of benefiting the state. Mm-hmm. And also, there is this planning system in the local sphere of government. We call it IDP, in Integrated Development Planning. That, in that integrated development planning, it's supposed to achieve what the constitution term developmental local government. Developmental local government basically in simple terms means that um, 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 we, we, as, as, as a local sphere of government, as municipality, when you engage in the business of, 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 of governance, when you deliver services to the people, you must make sure that whatever that you're doing is not just only a service, but it must also contribute towards changing the life of this particular people for better. And, 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 and unfortunately, when you look at our IDP, IDP in terms of the law, uh, IDPs in terms of the law are supposed to talk to what the people want. But in most instances, they don't do that. Mm-hmm. They talk to a particular term of a particular leader. Mm-hmm. Because those ID, ID, the IDP, remember, uh, Benjamin, they mm-hmm. are linked to a five-year term. Mm-hmm. So whoever who happen to be in power at that particular point in time, he will work so hard to account to a political a mandate done mm. account to what the people want. Remember, mm. here, Benjamin, we are talking about local government. Local government ought to be you know, ought to be ought to be accountable uh, to the people. Ought to be accountable to what the people want uh, on the on the ground. So you have a situation where, um, um, after five years, we go for elections. Mm-hmm. Whoever that take the elect, whoever that win the elections, will will, will, will come up with his own IDP uh, just to make sure that it responds to the political expectations of that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. After five years, another political party come, he dished out the IDP that was there, he, you know, he, he put in his own IDP, so forth and so on. And as a result, as a country, we always start from the beginning after each and every five years. There is no consistency. Mm-hmm. And that is why now we are confronted with many of these challenges because we never, I mean, if we had consistency, Benjamin, mm-hmm. in terms of a long-term plan as a country from 1994. I can tell you that much of the challenges that we're confronted with will have been, will have been sorted out because plans are not for, plans are likely not for the people. Plans are likely for for certain political, uh, what you call expectation, mandate, and interest at a particular point in time. And that is where the problem is. Because mm-hmm. even if you go back to your Asian countries where, where they came up with the concept of a developmental state, they consistently had what you call a long-term plan. In mm-hmm. other words, you plan over a very long uh, period of time, mm-hmm. and, 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 and during that time, it doesn't matter who actually takes over power. Mm-hmm. He might just continue to push that particular plan, that particular agenda that we had put in place. Mm-hmm. And that much, if we can master that, I think South Africa could actually be in a position to reinvent itself in terms of being consistent to, the, to, to, to her mm-hmm. own development mm-hmm. and also in terms of making sure that the needs and the interests of the people are consistently being catered for. That's the voice of Dr. Herbert Maserumule, who is speaking to us there alongside Lee Nanguna. They both are giving us their insights and their experiences of their uh, uh, 
outlook on the situation of service delivery in South Africa. It's a big conversation right now. We know it's not a small conversation because we're leading up to the 2019 elections. South Africa, two years before the election, there seems to be robustness all the time and this kind of stuff happens. seems like a trend. Every time we're approaching elections, uh, we see this kind of occurrence uh, taking place. Uh, Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue. We're going to continue this conversation with both of our guests and I want to go back to this issue of promises you know the relationship between protesters and the promises that are made you know I'm thinking of this uh, issue that I just uh, spoke of when we opened the show of the human settlements minister Lindy Wesisulu saying that she has tasked another technical team to respond to housing protests and to verify the housing list database this housing list database is it real is it a myth is it a joke? Where is this uh, housing uh, list database that every time there's a protest needs to be verified? We'll speak about those kind of issues like, are these promises a myth or are they real? Let's take a break. We'll be back. Socially, 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 Africa, 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 socially, socially, Africa, Africa, socially, socially, Africa, Africa, socially, Africa, coming live to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. On the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa, you can also catch us on DSTV Audio Bouquet Channel 802. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. Yes, you're listening to Channel Africa, the African perspective. A reminder that uh, if you're listening to us as a friend on the continent uh, in our frequency uh, on a short wave, we're on 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa on DSTV. We are on uh, Channel 802. Thank you for joining us there as well. And our international friends on www.channelafrica.co.za. And today we're speaking about the concerning issue of unfulfilled promises of service delivery in South Africa. We know that uh, just uh, this past week, there have been huge uh, protests, uh, very violent protests uh, that have been taking place around Johannesburg, South Africa, Eldorado Park, Ennodale. And there was a meeting that this past weekend that included those two um, communities alongside Freedom Park and Cliptown. Actually, last week, we even saw this protest uh, trend moving into Pretoria, there was some unrest there that uh, took place briefly. Uh, coming back to our guest, Lena, I'm concerned about the issue of uh, promises. You know, I, I don't know mm. if when you spoke to the protesters or uh, the community members during your, mm. your study, what is their relationship with this invisible thing called uh, promise? What is their kind of perspective of how they they view these promises that have been made because these promises are becoming almost mythical in south african culture Mm. and you know okay in terms of promises what i also picked up was um 
the community members or protesters in lack of a better word, um, they 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 see promises as fair value. It's it's sort of a way for the government or the government officials to get away from doing the actual work. So it's like they are good at talking but never putting everything to action. Mm -hmm. So that's what they've experienced so far. Um, They have people, they even speak about how it can take good 10 years for the department, for the government, I'm sorry, for the government to actually build a clinic in the community. So that is because of something like um, a budget can be released. And I, I heard you ask a question about whether it's a myth. Um, this whole um, RTP list and all these things, these mm. things actually do exist. Mm. They do have a list of people that are on an RTP. But the sad thing is those things come at a condition. Mm. And in most cases, they end up not happening to the actual people or not coming to the actual people that need them the most, but they go to other people. So Why is that the case? Where are they going to? If corruption. They're not go- okay. Corruption. Mm. It's a matter of um, now... RTPs are being sold in certain communities. Mm. Now, not only that, but um, you have to pay a certain fee or you have to speak to someone or someone someone is going to connect you. It's, 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 that's the kind of language that exists in um, poor communities here in South Africa. Mm-hmm. If you do not have maybe 500 rand to actually pay for them to register you or for them to move your name up. So I might have registered myself in 1994, but chances are for me to get myself to be recognized in 2017, there's a certain fee that I need to pay. And that's not the democracy that was promised. So it's like promises are coming at a condition in South Africa, and that's what is affecting um, our people, and that is what is affecting, and there is a gap between this promise and this um, a community that is looking out for this mm, promise. Mm. So people are over promises now. People are tired of promises now. They no longer want to hear promises, but they actually want to grab what they want. So that's, that's, that's the point that South Africans have gotten to. They are no longer listening to what the government is saying they will do, but they want them to do now. Because if you've promised us in 1994 and we are in 2017 and nothing has changed, what is a promise? Mm, that's very worrying, Lena. Dr. Maserumule, it's very worrying to hear what uh, Lena is highlighting there. Uh, you know, wh- I know that the database does exist, mm. but, you know, Dr. Herbert, what's worrying me is the fact that it doesn't exist because of this corruption, because no one follows this list. No one really does what they promised at the end of the day. But how do we actually revisit this promise issue when it comes to governance? Some some people argue that the government must just stop making promises. Look, um, 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 promises, promises. Uh, are important, but you need to follow them through, not mm. just only by promising more. Mm. They, they ought to be followed through by, 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 by tangible actions, you know. Uh, because remember, as government, you need to remain in touch with the people. You need to talk to people. But don't just simply talk and talk and talk. Act the, uh, uh, act the talk, you know. Walk the talk, you know. So I, I think that's a problem that you're confronted with as a country. People are so much good in talking, but they don't Walk the talk, 
and that's mm. a problem. Mm. And also another thing that 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 that, that uh, was indicated by, by by my colleague there from her research, I think it's excellent. The question of the question of corruption in the system, and that much is so, particularly in your local sphere of government. Because I used to argue that if our local sphere of government it is not properly functioning, we might just forget about dealing with the question of of, of service delivery. Because that is where that is where uh, things ought to happen. Local government are, are they, they, they are the face of government. Remember, they interface largely directly with the people, you know, and the, the and, and, and the, the theme of that interface ought to always be uh, delivering services. So I think. Uh, moving forward, what is important as a country, particularly given the fact that we are more than 20 years into democracy, we just have to do what I'll call an audit of our democracy mm. in terms of its dividends to society. Mm. We just have to make sure that we do that and, and be honest as we do it so that we can get to understand where were our, fa- our failures, what is there that we could still do, do in order to make sure that at the end of the day, our people get what they voted for. And also, I think it is critically important that as we understand our democracy, particularly those that are in the leadership of the state, their understanding of democracy ought to go beyond a, a, a procedural, a, a, what you call, version of what democracy is. Mm. They need to begin to significantly uh, um, uh, um, um, understand democracy in substantive terms so that we can begin to pay more attention on socio-economic questions. I mean, now, Benjamin, if you look at what is happening in South Africa, more, much of what the political parties you know, um, 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 uh, contest in the court of law are political issues, mm. not socio-economic issues. Mm. You know, so we need to begin to see. You know, more, uh, much of us come uh, on behalf of the poor, because remember, at the end of the day, as much as the the socio-economic rights are enshrined in the constitution, in most instances, we uh, these people are so poor to an extent that they can engage the court processes, so that they can, so that uh, the court processes can actually hear them out and decide, 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 decide on their plight. That is why often they will take you to the street, and the extent of of, of desperation often evolves into violence in terms of how they express, the, or in terms of how to express our anger. So. When you look at all these things, Benjamin, you will see that as a country, we seem to put more emphasis on the procedural aspect of democracy than the substantive aspect of democracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we were not, um, uh, we could have been, we could have been, we could have been uh, going to the to the courts on behalf of the poor, trying to fight for for their rights, socio-economic mm-hmm. rights, as mm-hmm. enshrined mm-hmm. in the constitution. Mm-hmm. But guess what we are doing? We are fighting for our position. We are fighting for who must be where in parliament. Blah mm-hmm. blah. Mm-hmm. Yet on the ground, there are people that are suffering. Well, uh, that is uh, where we're going to wrap it up there. That's the honest truth, really. And uh, we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you to our guests for giving us their time. Dr. Herbert Maser-Mule, thank you for giving us your time. He's a social and political uh, commentator in South Africa. Thank you to Lina Nguna. I think soon you'll be a commentator uh, regular here, uh, Lina. Uh, She's a PhD candidate at the University of Johannesburg, a researcher at the university's research chair for social change. Thank you both for being frank and giving us your insights.
Thank you very much, Benjamin. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lena. Fantastic. That's how we wrap it up. 13 years it's been since the death of Brenda Farsi. Last week, the 9th of May, we were commemorating this death, but she left a huge superstar legacy on the continent. And uh, she's such a fantastic legacy for us to appreciate such music that she made and such a vibrant personality she was indeed. Here's some music. This one's titled Bump Bump. And it's Brenda Farsi, of course, the pop queen of the continent.